Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, we read Paul's prayer again. It goes like this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the rich of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And this is what we're going to focus on this morning. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask, all we think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Last week we looked at verses 14 through 19 of this prayer of Paul for God's people. And this prayer of Paul as he prays that through the power of God, that this power would enable us to know the love of God such that we would become to a place where we would be fully and completely perfected in Christ-likeness. That you would take on the full character and attributes and beauty of Christ. That request... That longing, as great and as magnificent as it is, gives way in Paul to the larger vista and the larger longing and the greater joy of Paul. And what is that joy and what is that longing? It is nothing less than God's glory. That God, as you are perfected, as he makes sinners perfect in his sight, Once and for all, that God would be glorified. The joy and delight that breaks forth in Paul is this, is that the church would be made perfect and in that God would get glory forever and ever into eternity. Now that statement, to you be glory, to God be the glory, what is Paul doing there? Where does he, what's the change in verse 20? What does he begin to do? He's been praying praying requests for us. Now in verses 20 and 21, he prays what? It's a, a prayer of praise. Paul is worshiping. Now that is not odd if you're used to reading the scriptures, to see the writers of scripture suddenly break forth in worship. But for how, sometimes we miss the things that, be, that we, we just begin to miss the furniture in the scriptures. It is an odd thing to be writing for, to somebody, to be saying, hey Ephesians, I want you to understand these theological truths. I'm going to pray that you would understand these theological truths and then suddenly to start worshiping in the middle of a sermon. And, and that, that's what Paul does. He's giving them instructions for how they're to honor God with their life. He even tells them what he's praying for them. But then suddenly he's overwhelmed and he breaks forth in worship. Now you would think, why didn't Paul just simply put the pen down and go spend some time in worship? Why does he include his prayers, his praise, in the actual letter itself? Why do, why do, we, why do we join together and sing? It's the same answer. So that we might... Join him. He worships God in a letter so that when we read his words of worship, we might join him as well. His prayer ends just like your prayers with a word called known as amen. Amen. Amen means let it be done. Yes, it is so. It is an agreement. Yes, this is true. And the goal is not that at the end of Paul's prayer, when he says amen, that we would sit and simply sit on our hands and watch the apostle worship and go, well, that's nice that he had a great time in worship today. 
No, the whole point that he gives us this is so that we might enjoin him in saying amen with him. And so we listen to Paul's worship in the hopes that in hearing his worship and hearing what he worships God for and expresses to God, that that same worship would rise up in us and we would join his amen. And so we look this morning, we meditate on what does Paul praise about God that would cause him to give glory to God. Simply say these two things. This is what Paul, what leads Paul to give glory and honor to God. And it's this. This is what he worships about God. He worships the ability of God's power. The ability of God's power. What does it say in verse 20? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. This is highlighting God's power. God's divine ability more plainly spoken, and it's highlighting this. God is able. Period. Period. That means he can do anything he pleases. Anything he pleases. Job 23, 13 says, what he desires, he does. Psalm 115, verses 3 says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Now, just a brief theological note. Does that mean God can sin? No, there are some things God is unable to do because he is not pleased to do them. Therefore, can God make a rock that is so big that he cannot throw it? No, because God's not stupid. He doesn't make rocks that he can't throw. It does not please him to make rocks that he cannot throw. He can do anything he pleases because nothing is too difficult for him or beyond his ability to do as he pleases. In Genesis chapter 18... When, when the angel of the Lord, which is the God himself, comes to Abraham and, I, and, and Sarah, and he says, you're going to have a child, and Sarah laughs, the Lord says in verse 13, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's a rhetorical question. Luke 1:37, same kind of scenario. A woman who is unable to give birth, the angel shows up to Mary and tells her not only that she will give birth to the Son of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, but also that her cousin Elizabeth, who is barren and old, is going to give birth. And the angel finishes these promises by saying, for nothing will be impossible with God. Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. There is nothing at which God looks at and says, this is too difficult for me. From forming the stars in the heavens to putting an end to the most destructive viral load to eradicate addiction in our lives to healing that relationship to putting together Ikea furniture. There is nothing that God looks at and says, that is too much for me. That is too much for me. Because our God is able. You want to know what I did this week? <laughs> just to give you a heads up. Just to give you a heads up. I have now made the only point I'm going to make today. And now we're just going to essentially say it four different ways. And from four different perspectives. The way of continuing to say God is able and meditating on that, we give God's ability context in comparison. That's what Paul does. He says, God is able. You're like, but what does that mean that God is able? Kind of like if you tell your kids, if you give your kids a great broad statement like, I love you so much. And your kids go, do you love me this much? And you go, no, I love you this much. That's what Paul does here at communicating God's love. See, I love you so much. I know I love you this much. You see, he is able, what does it say? He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine. 
God is able, and we say, what do you mean he is able? And he responds, I am able to do far more than you can ask or imagine, far more abundantly. Paul has to get silly here, like a little kid, and trying to communicate the lengths of God's powerful abilities. Paul has to make up words. You know, kids do this. How, how much money do you have? I have a gazillion dollars. How much, what's bigger than a gazillion? A quadrillion. A quadrillion. What did he, have to make? he literally has to make up a word. It's called hooper perisu. It doesn't exist in the Greek language until Paul states it. It's a word that has to communicate the exceeding abundance of God's abilities. This is the God that we have far more abundantly, far more abundantly than we can ask. Just consider what this means for your prayer life. That means you can ask and 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 you can never reach the limit of God's prayer, of of the God's ability to, to answer your prayers. He is able to provide more than, frankly, also for those of you that are guilty for not asking enough, he's able to provide more than your abilities to express in words. And so this puts it in any foolishness of if I had just prayed more for that. God is able to even exceed the limitation of your words. This means that God is able to provide, is, is not limited by your, even your sense of need, by your sense of need. You know, the cripples and the disabled, as we read earlier in our, in our gospel passage this morning, time after time after time, they come to Jesus and they say, heal me. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you forgiveness for sins. Oh, and then I'm going to heal you. And I'm going to do something weird. I'm going to spit on your face. <laughs> and stick my finger in your ear. So it's a Jesus, Jesus approved. What do you call that? What do you, when you lick? Yeah. Jesus approved. Jesus does that. Junior high boys, you are now, you're now affirmed. God's guests ask for bread and water. And they, we ask for subsistence living. But he offers a banqueting table. We think we need a McDonald's hamburger and he gives us a steak. Think about the provision simply of his redemption, of what what he gave us. He does not simply just provide us forgiveness. He does not simply just provide us an escape of his wrath. He does not simply return us to the state of Adam, which is we are able to sin and not sin. Instead, his redemption is full, complete, and overflowing. He makes us not just simply forgiven and avoidant of wrath, but he makes us children of God. He makes us new and complete, fully and completely in heaven one day. When he provides bread in the desert and bread and fish after the Sermon on the Mount, what does he provide? Merely subsistence living? No, he gives us far more. They can't even eat it all. He will not treat us as social security members. He will give us far more than we need. If you thought about the grandeur of what God is able, let me just give you an image of what God's, God's abilities are to hold up all of our requests, even the ones we don't know. Just think about a ship at sea. Ever thought about this? That the ocean is strong enough to carry all the ships of the sea? Can the sea hold up one ship? It's kind of amazing, right? Ships are enormous. These mega ships now, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of tons, and yet the sea is able to hold up that ship. Does that surprise you? No, because the the sea is what? Powerful. Not only that, but there's not just one boat out in the ocean. There are thousands and thousands of boats on the ocean. Your, Your request, your simplistic request, your small request are as one boat, and God is the ocean. That's who he is. Far more abundantly than we can ask. 
Also, what does it say? Far more abundantly than we can even think. In other translations, it says imagine. In other words, he exceeds your dreams, your wildest dreams. He is able to provide beyond what we desire. He is able to provide more than what our faith can fathom. When we desire great things, our faith is often weak. Even your greatest moments where you think, God, if you would just use me in this way in my neighborhood, God goes, I can even do better than that. He is able to provide beyond our comprehension. His power to bless us is not bounded by our power to understand the limitlessness of his blessing. Grace is not measured to us according to our capacity to understand in order to receive it. Grace is given to us according to his ability to give it to us. He is able beyond our wildest dreams. We can soar into the impossible. We at thought cannot attain the power of God to bless us. It is immeasurable. For as the scriptures say, your thoughts, O God, are higher than my thoughts. And your ways are higher than my ways. And God does this time and time and time again. That when we pray, he answers our prayers in unimaginable ways. There was a couple that went to a pastor in a denomination, and this happens quite frequently, and they couldn't have kids. This is a theme in the Bible. It's a theme in our life still. They had tried everything to conceive, and they still hadn't had, been able to have children. And so this pastor and his wife, they committed, we're going to fast and pray for you for a week, that God would give you a child, that God would open the womb. And today that family has six kids beyond their imagining. They prayed for the on button. Now they're praying for the off button. <laughs> if you're thinking, that's great, Pastor, but what about the couple that prayed and prayed and prayed and God never answered their prayers? They never conceded. How is God so able for them? Remember, God's power is able to do abundantly more than we can ask or even imagine what he's doing. There's a woman in St. Louis named Mary Nelson, and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed for a child. She was out working in her garden one day, and she, in a prayer, in a fit of almost a rage there in the garden, she said, I'm going to ask God one more time, God, give me a child. Give me a child this year. And this is the last time I'll ask. I've prayed for years upon years upon years, so this is it. This is the last time I'm going to ask. And nine months later, Mary Nelson gave birth to a crisis pregnancy center. And that priceless pregnancy presenter gave birth to another one, and to another one, and to another one. And she never gave birth to a child of her own. But there are literally thousands of babies that have come into this world because of her. Beyond what we can imagine. She was 15 years old, and her mother was diagnosed with cancer. It was terminal. Yes, there was chemo, but it would, it would keep it in check at least for a while, but it would cause horrendous suffering. So the daughter continued in school, and the daughter was brilliant. She graduated from high school early. She went on to college, got her master's degree and her PhD, and began to teach at Stanford. All this time, her mother endured the ravages of chemo. But during all that time, her mother was also there supporting this young woman. And she needed the support desperately. You see, this young woman was going to college and getting a master's degree and getting a PhD and beginning to teach at Stanford and was rising in the ranks in this country academically when it was difficult for any woman to do so, much, much more so a black woman. 
Her rise in each place she went was met with controversy and difficult, but her mother continued to be her strength and her support until finally, after 15 years of severe suffering, this young woman witnessed the death of her mother. That young woman's name was Condoleezza Rice, and she was the 66th Secretary of State in our country. And as she was serving one day, Michael Lindsay, an author, tells of this account, when she was serving for the administration of George W. Bush, he, they record a time in which in the Oval Office they were having an incredibly, incredible heated debate amongst the, in the administration. There was an enormous decision that they had to make. And the debate was this, whether the U.S. would provide $15 billion in aid, in humanitarian aid, to combat AIDS in Africa. It was a Republican administration, and it was the largest humanitarian aid package ever proposed in American history, or in the world for that matter. It was a heated debate within the administration itself, and the debate went on and on. Finally, they came to brass tacks. The argument was this. Should we spend $15 billion to prolong the lives of Africans who, even if probably we could get them to live, would only live for another 10 to 15 years? It was at this point that Condoleezza Rice spoke up, and she said this. The reason I am here today is because between my 15th and my 30th birthday, there was a woman who was dying for those 15 years, but the medicine kept her alive so that she could support me through all of my needs. If she had not lived until 30, then I would not be here today. And if we, the most prosperous and powerful nation of the world, will not provide the children the support of their parents during their formative years, then it is a moral failing on our parts. And if we will do it, then we will change the face of the continent of Africa and perhaps the world. They provided the money, and through that age package, literally thousands upon thousands, maybe millions of African families and children have been saved. Now let me ask you this. Condoleezza Rice came from a family of faith. Do you think they prayed for healing during that 15 years? A healing that God said no to. Do you think that during that 15 years, as some of you have got, come to that place and watching a parent will go downhill where you would pray, God, please take them. Please take them. End the suffering in their life. But it was beyond their imagining that God could use the difficulty in their lives to save the lives of millions. But God can imagine it. God operates beyond what we can comprehend, what we can imagine. What leads Paul to worship and that would incite us to join him is to find that the superabundance of God is he is able in everything. But it, it becomes very personal too. Again, we're going to say the same thing. What's amazing to Paul is not simply that that power of God is out there ethereally or theoretically, but where does that power work? What's it say? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to a power at work, where? Within us. Within us. This is the place of God's power. It's amazing. Last week, Paul prayed towards his desire and his, his God's vision of our perfection, that Christ would be made full in us, that the full character of God himself and the person of Christ Jesus would be what you and I become. And we look at our lives and we say, no way. No way. No, I have been irritable for 30 years. 
and all of my efforts to become a gentle person. No way. No way. No way. That thought, that thought that my sin not in part but the whole, that thought that not a part of my character but the whole of me will be made like Christ. That thought, this is the thought that leads Paul to say, now unto him who is able. See, maybe the greatest miracle of the world is that you would be sanctified. Sanctified to perfection. Just ask your wife. She would think that's probably a miracle. You see, the power of God, this divine ability of God is the power that is and will transform every part of you. Have you forgotten this truth? This is a gospel truth. Have you lost hope? Is your vision for the transformation and sanctification in your life boxed in by your sense of ability to stop doing certain things? Sanctification ultimately is not done by your power, but by the power of God in you. This is where some of you are in sanctification. You've lost hope of an actual change and you simply want God to provide mitigating, to mitigating the damage to your reputation and to the consequences of your sin. But could you rise up with hope again because of God's power and say, God can eradicate this from my life. God can make me like this. He could do this in me. It's his work. He is able And the same God who has the power to bring salvation into the midst of a war-torn land, that God has the power to bring salvation into the midst of a war-torn heart and a war-torn relationship and a war-torn family. It's true. God does it. I've given you three stories. Here's another one. Domingo is a mechanic. His wife, Irene, is a hairdresser. Simple people. They've been foster parents to 32 children and have adopted 16. Domingo and Irene are in their late 50s and currently have 11 children living with them. And they tell them, they say they cannot believe what it would be like to not have these kids. Anyone who has children knows that this task that they've taken up is a difficult one. They would desperately need God's spirit. How do you love 16 or 11 kids in your house? You would need lots of love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You see where I'm going. The expanse of their, of their love, though, is so renowned that CBS News did a feature on them and their family. And you think, that's great. Understand this, it has not always been that way. Irene has shared in public testimony about the early days in their marriage and the hatred she felt toward Domingo. He was abusive, and she prayed regularly that he would die. She even daydreamed about him driving off a cliff because of the pain that he inflicted her. Now she calls him the godliest man she knows. For anyone who thinks their life or marriage is hopeless, remember what God did in the life of Domingo and Irene. It is not a pipe dream. God does this. Why couldn't the power of Jesus do that to you? Why couldn't God transform your marriage? Why couldn't God do something powerful in your life that your children, they come to a place where they go, I don't recognize you. That when your children go off to college and they come back four years later, they go, I'm sorry, who moved in? Who is this person? That my daddy is now gentle. Why couldn't God do such a profound your work in your life that moms, that your sons grow up and say, I want to marry a woman who is as hardworking and as joyous as my mother is. Why couldn't God do such a work in your life that your neighbors are inexplicably drawn to you, that God would do such a work in your life that you would be fearlessly open your mouth and share the gospel where you were always before timid to do so? Couldn't he do so? Would you ask him?
He might just answer you. And let me draw this out from the individual into the corporate. For it says what? It's the power at work within us. Us. That's not we. That's we, not me. That's us, not I. Next week, we'll look at the phrase, to him be glory. Where? In the church. In the church, it's amazing. Of all the places one might think that God would choose to reveal and embody and express his glory, the church with all of its weaknesses and divisions and failures scarcely seems to qualify, doesn't it? And yet God says, this is my intent. This is my intent. A number of years ago when ISIS was wreaking havoc all over the Syria and Iraq, Samaritan's Purse, which works in some of the worst areas of the world, was doing incredible work in that war-torn area. And there was a report that I read that came from Samaritan's Purses in regards to their activities. One of the directors in that area was sharing what was going on. He said this, he described the work there. He said, there is a wide open harvest of people. When you show Christ's love in practical and tangible ways, it opens up the doors to the gospel. He then went on to describe about a woman from Mosul, the mod, which is, by the way, the modern name for the ancient city of Nineveh, which I believe you heard about Jonah. It's where Jonah's grave is now. This director for Samaritan's first poke with a woman shortly before ISIS came and drove out the Christians and the Muslims of different sects from Mosul. The woman said she had dreamed of a great harvest of people that was about to come. Now, we're Presbyterians. We don't know what to do with dreams. We don't. God is using his people, though, in amazing ways that we can hardly imagine, he said. So many of the Christians and the Muslims fled into Kurdistan, a neighboring region, where the churches of Kurdistan opened their doors to welcome refugees, and those churches began to be full and overflowing with former Muslims who received help from groups like Samaritan's Purse and from the church in Kurdistan. This happened in Mosul, in Baghdad, and all over the Middle East during this time. Do you recognize that in the midst of conflict, God is doing something in the midst of his body. Perhaps God may do something like that in Afghanistan. Now this is, understand this, what's happened in Afghanistan and what's happened, what happened there a number of years ago with ISIS, these are not the things that we would have asked for. This is not the way we would have asked for revival to happen. But God is saying that above all other names for eternal purposes, I'm doing something. I'm doing something through you who believe. In the church, through the church, God is able. Remember this, that the power of God is working in us and through us. And I, I am concerned that you would forget this. There is a movement, if you're following the movements of the church, um, which is called the de-churched movement, or the exvangelical, or the deconstructed. It is those who've grown up in the church and have become so disillusioned with the church that they are leaving. Exvangelicals are those who say, I, I still follow Jesus, but I want nothing to do with the church. I'm sickened by who it's been. And understand this, that God's power should give you hope to stay, give you hope to stay amongst God's people, to not give up. Because God's power is at work here. I, 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 it, I don't understand it. It's inexplicable to me sometimes. But this is where he says he's working. Not just in this body, but in the bodies around our community. Leo Manzoni, I've told this story before, he was an Olympian during the 2012 Olympics and he ran the 1500 meters. He's a tiny little fellow. He's only 5'5". Five five. But according to one doctor, he has the heart, the size of heart of a seven foot man. 
One Dr. Ed Coyle, the director of, the, of Human Performance Laboratory, said this, that uh, Leo Manzani can consume 82.2 milliliters of oxygen per kilogram of body weight. He said this to give us context. He said, I know of only 10 human beings in recorded history that have been able to do that. They say of Leo this phrase, he has a Ferrari engine in a pinto body. He's Italian. That's the church of Jesus Christ. We're a Ferrari engine with a pinto body. Here's how Joe Novenson, a pastor of denomination, talks about the power of God in the church. He says this, the infinitely powerful is at work in the unimpressively small. The peerlessly potent is at work in the profoundly flawed. Now you might say, okay, God is able, even in the church, even in me, even in this world. All you did was make that one point and give us a bunch of stories. Yeah, I did. I purposely gave you a bunch of stories. And here's why. G.K. Chesterton says this. Fairy tales don't tell children that dragons exist. Fairies for children already know that dragons exist. We already know that life is difficult, that we are weak, and that the church is flawed. He goes on to say, fairy tales tell children that dragons can be beaten. That's why we tell stories. That's why we make one point, and that's my desire this morning. Does ministry in your life feel small and weak? Does this church feel small and weak? Does the worldwide church feel small and weak and disunified and fighting and backbiting? Does it feel like the world around us is going to crush us from cultural creep and internal weaknesses? Maybe. And therefore, we need stories that confirm for us that dragons can be beaten. And so what do we do with this? He said amen. If you're sitting in a circle or a prayer meeting, you ever had this happen? It's a small prayer meeting. And the leader says, we're all going to pray. And you're going around the circle and the person next to you prays. And they come to amen. What does that mean for you? Oh no. It's my turn. But that is the point, for us to add our amen to Paul's. And so what I would say is this, that you would rise up in prayer. I'll put it this way. God says he can do more than we can ask or imagine. Why don't you try him? Proposition God's power. Proposition him. As we said last week, if you want to come to a place where you're blown away by the love of God, where his love just becomes a dizzying thing beyond your grasp of comprehension, that the way to get there is to meditate until the Spirit sets your mind and your heart a-soaring. That when you try to comprehend that which is incomprehensible, you come to a place of understanding the incomprehensibility of it by trying to grasp it. You, in other words, if you want to have a sense of the depths of the ocean, Put on the gear and dive in. And so if you want to have a sense of God's ability and power to move in your life beyond what you ask or imagine, then maybe we should dive into prayer. This is what God calls us to do, and this is what Paul is implicitly calling us to do, to worship God in prayer by worshiping him by bringing requests that we never thought, we never thought in a million years would could happen. God says he will do you beyond what we ask, so we need to start asking. There's an old hymn that goes like this, thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. 
So let's try them. God says he will do more than we can imagine. This could be, this means what we need to do is to cultivate hope and vision to suppress the cynicism about yourself and about others and about the church. To, to have a holy vision, what I might say is a holy curiosity of what God might be doing. There's a counselor that works for our church. Her name is Jane Forrestal. This is the most, those that have gone to see her know this phrase. And it makes you want to throw things at her. She's constantly going, you see, like, you talk about some difficult thing that's going on in her life. She goes, let's be curious about that. And you just want to pick up the candle. And you just go, no, I don't want to be curious about that. But what she's getting at is this. A holy, sacred curiosity. What might God be doing? She's encouraging you to cultivate a holy imagination in view of the power and the goodness of God. In other words, it means this. You know, in 20, you know, a lot of people are looking at the church and going, you know, we're not doing very well in this, with this COVID thing. I mean, we're not responding super great. We're disconnected. We're disunified. We're off mission. But maybe, I wonder what God in 20 or 25 years, I wonder what 20 or 25 years we might be able to say. Hey, remember that time when COVID hit and our, some of our governments were passing unjust laws that seemed to be prejudice against churches? And we, frankly, we didn't know what to do, and we had bad video equipment, and we, we, we were all confused, but then this happened. What do you think that this is? Begin to think about those things and pray towards it. Lastly, I would encourage you to do this. Catalog your prayers and catalog your answered prayers. I didn't know God answered prayers until I started doing this, and suddenly they're everywhere. Cultivate a holy imagination, and then actually begin to go back. This is actually why I showed you last week my prayer cards, why I have prayer cards, so I have a catalog of what I'm praying for you, and then I get to see, oh, oh, this is how God answered that. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. He says there is a power at work in us beyond what we can ask or imagine. One last thing to encourage you to pray, and we should consider this. We think that when we pray, God has a standard way of answering, Right? That God has like form letters he's given to the angels. He's going, listen, okay, there's a lot of requests coming in. We're going to have to standardize this. Okay, you answers over here. You have the no answers. And here's how the letter is going to go. Dear sir or madam, we regret to inform you that your request on September 5th at 1028 p.m. has been rejected. We thank you for persevering despite God's severe providences in your life. Sincerely, the Holy Trinity. Or we think he says yes, and we go, we are delighted to inform you that because of your prayers on September 5th at 9.26 p.m., God has chosen in his goodness and graciousness to you to answer your prayer with a yes. Or we think it's a not yet, in which we says, listen, listen, um, we're sorry to inform you that we at this time don't have an answer. We would ask you to be patient for us. God, the Godhead is forming a committee of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they will get back with you on their good time. This is how we think God answers our prayers. Yes, no, or not yet. I want you to understand this. There is a far more common answer to your, all your prayers. And the answer is this. More. More. That no matter what you're asking, it's, what does it say? More than all we can ask or imagine. He's a doing abundantly more that means every prayer, 
is answered with this, more. Let's pray and we go to the table this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great power that is at work within us. It is a mighty and it is a wondrous thing if we were to behold. And God, I thank you that this more which feels so, it could, maybe our minds are beginning to soar, but Lord, we, rem, we need reminders of your power and, and, and what you're able to do. And so direct our hearts and our minds now to your more as we remember back to what you have done. As we come to eat this bread and drink this cup, the simple bread and juice that you say that when we take this, you're there with us and you will extend to us the grace of God. When we in our hearts are struggling to believe, now, Lord, would you come and convince our hearts through this grace? We set aside the simple elements asking you to do something powerful in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.